0: Let us pray. Come now, Holy Spirit, we pray. Lord God, give us attentive hearts, Lord, to your story, to your grand story that, God, you tell us through your word. And God, help us this morning, to, as, as your children, to, to hear the story that you tell, and God, to see ourselves in that story. And God, may now the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, be pleasing in your sight. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning, I'm going to encourage you to, to take out your Bibles and turn to that passage from Revelation 21 that Ashley read this morning. That can be found on page um, 1041 of the Pew Bible in front of you, and just kind of use that as a guide this morning, because that's, pretty much, that's the text of which we're, we're going to be looking at uh, today from God's Word. Right now in our house, um, my daughter talked me into this. Uh, a, a person gave to us a, a gift, the Chronicles of Narnia, which is in one book. And if any of you guys have ever read the big box sets, you can only imagine how thick this thing is and how many pages there are. But my daughter insisted that we read this. And so I'm enjoying it greatly. And I wasn't sure she would understand everything being six years old. And But in, in each night, I, I'm trying to just read maybe one or two chapters to get her into it. And, and she's enjoying it this immensely. I, I I had no idea she would love it so much. And C.S. Lewis really is great. He kind of, as he writes, he brings you right to the end of a chapter and puts you right on the edge of a cliff and and you're just dying to find out what's next. You want to turn to the next page and continue reading and every night Kira's been just begging me after two chapters or so, you know, turn the page, daddy, turn the page, turn to the next chapter. I want to hear the rest of that story. I know some of that is she just doesn't want to go to bed, but actually she also wants, she does, she wants to hear the rest of that story. And so, and what's going to happen next? Next. And so I love her excitement for stories from the both from the Bible and in stories like Narnia. And you know, stories really are important because they do shape and form us, whether we're aware of that or not. And it's even been said and argued by scholars that really whoever controls the stories of a culture to a large power has the culture or has the culture or has the power in that given culture. Concerning stories, Mark Galley, editor of Christianity Today, in his book, Beyond Smells and Bells, he makes this a powerful assertion. He says that we currently live right now in a story-deprived world. He says this, quote, The story that modernity gave us has had its run. Its story's arc was about progress the notion that human life will get better and better because both science and technology will solve the world's most nagging problems. But events, events like two world wars, forced labor camps in the Soviet Union, the Holocaust, HIV, and AIDS epidemic, 9-11, and, both, and also post-modernity or postmodern philosophy have really all revealed to us how weak this plot line was. He continues, he says, only the most help, hopeless romantics remain fascinated with it. And he says, the failure of this story touches us all personally because each of us every day breathe the air of despair daily. We find it difficult to give ourselves to anything other than self. We simply don't trust anymore, not government, not business, not even the church. So we give our energy to career and comfort, to family and a few friends, and then we collapse into a cocoon of meaning, realizing in our more lucid moments that our little cocoon has no meaning larger or beyond ourselves, end quote. Beloved, I think he's right. And I believe a good many of us, particularly even in Christians today, are afraid to hope beyond our life stories or afraid to have hope in general. Why is that? It's because of all of our stories. It's because of our stories of brokenness and the brokenness that we see in the world and in our lives. Many of our lives are broken. We have psychological illness or mental illness, health issues, sin. We have bad attitudes and habits that we just can't seem to kick. There's bad things in the world that just happen to us beyond our control and it reminds us over and over again that this world's broken. See it in our lives, we see it in our relationships because every one of us, if we're honest, we've had people to lie to us, people who have walked out on us, abandoned us both metaphorically and literally, people who have stabbed us in the back, sold us, outwounded us, abused us, and even taken advantage of us. We experience brokenness in our relationships. We also experience brokenness in our worship, whereas if we're honest, we're more prone at times to worship things like life fulfillment, Our wallet, our bodies, our spouses, our boyfriends, our girlfriends, our children, our electronic gadgets, sometimes our self-righteousness in the church, our athletic or academic prowess and ability, or our parents' approval, or we worship sex or drugs or our wounds or whatever it may be. Friends, we're broken worshipers. Many of us have experienced broken churches. We see that today as mainline churches are embracing heterodoxy. Not only embracing heterodoxy, but allowing biblically unqualified personnel to occupy, pi- high, excuse me, to ac- occupy pulpits and high seats of authority. And then we see good leaders who are trying to do the right thing oftentimes in the church, getting trashed and maligned in the process. We've all experienced broken churches. And last, we are also currently experiencing an increasingly broken culture a culture that is presently so confused that people can't decide today which bathroom to use. And I'll just stop there. Shake my head. Beloved, when we experience and live out these stories in high degree, in high, oh, excuse me, when we experience and live out these stories in very high degrees, it's little wonder that many of us are afraid to hope or to have hope. Or to have or or why we have trust issues and sometimes why we even struggle to trust Jesus. We're afraid he'll disappoint us, just like the world has. And worse yet, if while in the muck and muddle and mess of the negative stuff I just named, if we constantly stream into our souls it doesn't really matter. Just pick any newscast, negative podcast, or cultural commentator today and let them tell the story. Let them have a hold of the narrative. Remember, stories shape and form us, right? If we let them have it and, and tell the story the way they think it may be, we might just be tempted to just give up all hope, accept these negative narratives that this is just all there is to life, that this is as good as it gets and simply just wait to die or accept our execution so we can escape this fresh hell on earth and go to heaven when we die but beloved we live in God's story in fact it's God God's story is Jesus's story and we each are his participants in his divine drama and story that has both an opening and a closing written by God and Jesus Christ himself and we see part of that closing of God's grand ultimate story in Revelation twenty one one through six today. John writes, "Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first earth and the first excuse me the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband." And also he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done or it is finished. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning to the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. Beloved, this is the end of God's story. But the story, God's story, the Bible, really does have an overarching plot. And if you've got a pen or a pencil this morning, I encourage you to jot these four things down. And if you don't get them all, it's okay. Hopefully, you can kind of catch them along the way. But there really are four elements to God's story. There's creation. That's number one. There's the fall. That's number two. Redemption. That's number three. And then consummation, or you could say completed, or say finalized, is number four. See, in creation, God begins his story in Genesis where he speaks all there is into existence. He makes all things new. All things are created new. But then there's the fall in the story. And that's where sin entered the world through the disobedience of Adam and Eve. And as a result, it wrecked everything in creation. So essentially, nothing here on earth works right. So you could say the fall, all things are broken. Then there's redemption. Number three, beginning now through the life, beginning now through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen, all things are beginning to or in process of being renewed. And then fourthly, there's consummation or completion. And that's what we see in Revelation 21 today when God says, behold, I am making all things new. The consummation of of God's story, the ending, is where all things are eternally new. Beloved, this is God's story. This is God's sacred, restorative rhythm, if you will, built into the sacred scriptures. And so my question for us this morning, is this the story that we're living out today? Are we as the people of God, or are we as the people of God, are are we allowing others to control or to steal or to somehow rewrite God's narrative and find ourselves just trying to grope and cope through life to survive? Are we going to let them steal our joy and to steal the life that God has intended for you? Jesus said, I come that you might have life abundantly. He didn't say anything about just giving you enough to get by. Or friend, do you desire to live, or this morning, are you here and you desire to live with hope and victory and flourishing because what Jesus has already done and what he's gonna do one day? Friend, I pray this morning, we would choose to live in God's story. And friends, we see these four plot lines actually work themselves out, the four plot lines of God's redemptive story in Revelation 21, one to six today. First, we see creation. See, creation's (laughs) mentioned in verse one. John right opens he says then I saw what a new heaven and a new earth now in Genesis in the beginning God created the heaven and earth right and after God spoke creation into existence he deemed it what good and if one looks through revelation and one looks through the whole Bible for that matter you know what you'll find you'll find that God's creation is good fallen yes but it's still good and in fact if you read through the gospel of John you can see Jesus recreating humanity and deeming his creation good all over the place. For example, St John when he starts off his gospel, he says, he starts off with these words, "In beginning." Why? He's alluding back to Genesis 1:1, 1, 1, thus pointing out this Get this, there's a new creation that's happening. Something different is happening. And it's this that Jesus' incarnation, that is, God becoming man, is a new beginning in history. And that a new creation is taking place now through Jesus Christ. And then a little later in John 19, 30, or excuse me, 1930, Jesus dies on the cross and he says, What? It is finished. What do you think that's about? Go back to Genesis 2, 1, when God says it's what? It is finished after creating all there is. Again, it's a hint that a new creation has happened now through Jesus Christ's life. In John 20, Jesus comes into the room with his disciples and he, tells, he breathes on them and telling them to receive the Holy Spirit. What's that about? Go back to Genesis 2, 7. You see God doing what to Adam? Breathing life into him. Again, John showing that a new creation is happening through the life of Jesus Christ. And then you can go through the seven signs and various miracles in the gospel of John. And almost every one of these in some way or another may be a little tough to connect the dots exactly. But one way or another, they relate to the creation account in Genesis to show that Jesus is all about recreating recreating and renewing creation, particularly humanity. So, beloved, it's fair to conclude that God is gloriously recreating his creation in and through Jesus Christ both then and now and is going to one day completely renew his creation in the future. He's not going to, just do, he's not going to do away with it. Friends, this is good news. This is great news that a new creation is at hand. And I'd encourage you to be aware of cynicism an overcritical nature of our culture that sometimes infiltrates us and infiltrates our lives. I struggle with it as much as anybody here because that, listen, subtle cynicism is a toxin that Satan uses to destroy God's church and destroy God's people. My point is this. If God is about recreation, redoing things and renewing things, then perhaps we too should be about recreation and new creation. Particularly when it comes to our broken lives, our relationships, our jobs. And not just giving up or looking to just bail out of this wreck called the, called the world and just go to heaven when we die. Kind of like a pilot who's fixing a crash, looking up to pull the ejection handle, hoping I just get out before this thing hits the end. It seems that God has something completely else in mind. That a new creation is here now in Jesus Christ and he wants to begin create recreating and newly creating you and me. It's what he does in the Gospel of John with each person that he encounters. So first, we see creation. But second, we also see the fall in this passage. Verse 1, he says, For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and the sea was no more. So what's this? How does this relate to the fall? Well, go with me here a minute. Listen, there's an astounding amount of end times literature and apocalyptic movies that portray God really as being more like Marvin the Martian from Looney Tunes. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Some of you are laughing. Who's going to blow up the earth? (laughs) When time runs out Why saving a few earthlings or something. Blow up the earth and then try to make out or make up some type of new creation. Something like a cosmic plan B, if you will, because God's first creation is so screwed up, he needs a second shot at it. Beloved, The present creation as we know it is not something second rate. It's not something that needs to be blown up or smelted. And I'm sorry, Chris Tomlin, I love a lot of your music, but verse four of my chains have gone are just wrong. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow. The sun forbear to shine is just not there. Beloved, God is going to gloriously, or excuse me, God is gloriously going to recreate and renew his creation, not do away with it, not obliviate it, not melt it, Say, well, okay, so what does this first then mean? It says here that the first heaven and the first earth have passed away and the sea was no more. Apparently this wasn't very important, because he's gonna do away with it. Well, that may seem the way it reads at first, but a little deeper study of the word, you you find out this that the word used for pass away or passed away within its canonical context in John's use means this. And this is kind of a big phrase here, so bear with me. It means this. Means motion or the pass away means motion away from a reference point. With an emphasis emphasis upon the departure, but without implications as to any resulting state of separation or rupture. In other words, yeah, something's going to change. Something's going to be different. Something's going to happen. There's going to be a departure, but there's not some gigantic separation or rupture or something major there that means this is completely wrong and something new has to happen. No it basically means this. It means, in other words, heaven and earth as we know it now is not going to blow up, but it will, in fact, be different. So what's going to be different about it? What's going to be different about the fall? What's going to happen at the fall? What is, what is God doing here? What does this mean about all this passing away? When he's talking about what's going to pass away, it's simply this. It's the effects of the fall from the first, earth, the first heaven and the first earth. They're already sabotaged. In the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when Christ comes back to put the world's right to right, they will be completely done away with and overturned. The incompleteness of things in the world that don't work right, meaning like health, things that tend to atrophy due to sin and fallenness of creation will be overturned and completed. And all the horrible effects of evil, sin, and the effects of the fall in the world that we currently know and experience will be completely undone and renewed. So that's what it means. It doesn't mean that things are going to blow up, be done away with. You say, well, what about that bit about the sea? What's that all about? Well, the sea in the Bible, though it's part of God's good creation, usually represents dark forces of chaos, and it's usually a threat to God's people. I mean, you think about it. Go back through the Bible and read it. The flood account in Genesis, okay, that involved... Water, the sea, the crossing of the sea, Red Sea in, in Exodus. The disciples on the sea in the storm. The disciples are oftentimes found fishing. They cannot predict to catch. So there's a world of unpredictability out there. You can't predict things. The apostle Paul almost died numerous times on his missionary journeys at sea. And so in the Bible, wherever the sea is mentioned, it usually is associated with threats, chaos, unpredictability, and disorder. And so when the sea was no more, it means this. It means that all these things of the present world, excuse, or the, excuse me, these things of the present world are going, to be, are going to pass away. It means all the brokenness of the world is going to be reversed. It means that the ultimate threat is going to be done away with. That chaos, unpredictability, and disorder are going to be given away to order and stability because of the work that Jesus Christ started then, is currently doing, and then will one day be. So how does the fall relate to this? Put simply, the effects of the fall are going to pass away, but the creation is not going to pass away. So we see the creation, we see the fall. We've already hinted at this some, but we also see redemption in verses three through five, actually the entire passage. I'm not gonna read that for the sake of time. But in that passage, it talks about the dwelling place of God. In the Old Testament, the dwelling place of God was the tabernacle, At first with Moses, and then became the temple. Right now, the Bible tells us that the dwelling place of God is with all who believe in Jesus Christ and Holy Spirit. In other words, if you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you. Therefore, you are a temple. And what we see in Revelation 21 here is actually even a greater relationship, a greater fellowship than even what we have now. See, Revelation 21, we see an unhindered fellowship and intimacy that all of those who are in Christ will experience with God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So intimately so that he reaches out and wipes the tears from his children's eyes. So close with God that he uses his very hand to brush back all the hurt all the pain, all the death, and all the sadness that you have experienced in this life. This passage, we see redemption where Jesus declares, behold, I am making all things new. Behold, I am making all things new. So why are we as Christians so often so drab, so minor key, so joyless, so negative? Does Jesus say, I'm making some things new? No, he says, behold, I'm making all things new. And friends, that's the powerful plot of where God is taking things. And I pray that we as a church will immense ourselves, not in some Pollyanna form or Pollyanna type, just espousing and throwing out theological pundits, but that we will immerse ourselves in his reality and in his story because God is in control of our stories. And he really is making all things new, beginning now through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's alive in you and I today. I mean, the Bible tells us this. I mean, maybe Paul lied. I don't know. I don't think he did. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? A new creation. There you go. That's redemption. God's doing something new. And one day, God will finally redeem and renew all things in creation and make all things new. That is where God is taking this thing we call life. And friends, I would encourage us this morning to to, to live out that story. I'll get to the application in a minute. But fourthly, we see consummation. Consummation. You say another way of saying that. um, It's really the point at which something is complete are finalized we see consummation here in revelation 21 verses 1 to 6 how is that well there's the easiest way to i know how to get it across it's kind of like this what we see in this passage is the new jerusalem the city of peace god's city god's people now comes down as a bride for her husband on a wedding day Now, because we're in mixed company, I'm not going to go there, but we know what happens between husbands and wives on their wedding day, right? The marriage is consummated, right? Okay, well, there's several things that are going to happen that day. Heaven and earth are going to come together. God's people are going to be with him. There's lots of things that are coming together. So that's why it's called consummation, where the heaven and earth are complete and finalized. But note that it's interesting that God does not, or the Bible does not portray people going up to heaven as we often see with the little babies and the harps and all that kind of stuff, we see a city coming down out of heaven to be on earth. And it's interesting that the final city of God, this holy city, is even called holy. And it's interesting that it was called Jerusalem. Why? Because Jerusalem, though a place of worship, into a place that contained great moments of preaching and temple worship and teaching and revelation of God and the people of God's lives. Jerusalem, friends, is also the city that David dishonored with adultery and murder. Jerusalem is a place that Solomon desecrated with his penchant for forbidden foreign women and their pagan gods. Jerusalem is a place known for child sacrifices and sorcery. Jerusalem was a city that mocked the prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah. Jerusalem was a city that was destroyed twice by foreign enemies and then they were all carried off into exile because of God's judgment. Jerusalem was a city that rejected their Messiah and then later demanded his crucifixion. Friends, it's hardly a model city for God's eternally new creation. So what's the point? By calling the city of God, the new Jerusalem, a holy city, it can only mean one thing for us. There's hope. Hope that God, in the final end of things, will take all of humanity's sinful self-will, that God will take all of humanity's brother-hating, God-defying, Christ-rejecting and God-hating antics that are in the world, that God will take all of our corrupt cities and our pitiful political establishments and redeem that mess and put the world to rights, particularly when God consummates and completes his story. Friend, his story is our story. His story is your story. Are you living into that this morning? Are right, you living into those four elements of seeing creation, the fall, redemption, and in consummation, because that is God's story. By way of application, beloved, there is a trend today in Christianity for lots of reasons, some for good, some for bad, that seem to really focus on maybe one chapter or one section of this grand narrative, God's story plot more than other, And it's this one of brokenness. Some seem to want to hold up brokenness or hold out brokenness while never really quite wanting to turn to the next chapter over to Christ's redemption. His redemption of our brokenness, much less ever looking forward to his consummation and completion of all things new and the hope that that holds out. Why is that? believe it goes back to what i said earlier a lot of us are afraid that somehow or another god is going to disappoint us that jesus can't pull through and that somehow something is wrong with us and he's not going to do what he says he's going to do so friend my challenge is this morning where are you experiencing brokenness today in your life is that the chapter of your life that you're kind of feel stuck in and need that extra chapter of or that uh, next chapter of redemption Maybe it's personally, maybe it's family, maybe it's in relationships. Maybe you're a broken worshiper this morning. You feel like, you know, we all are to a degree and we've exchanged the creator for the creation. Maybe in worship, you just don't feel like you have the joy of the Lord that you once had. Maybe you feel confused or lost or anxious or suspicious or hurt or wounded or lad, you know, lonely, sad. I I don't know. I mean, there's just so much that's out there right now. Maybe your life with God feels like you're just in a desert and your soul's parched. Friends, no matter your condition today, hear this. You are one of God's creations in his redemptive story. And fallen and sinful as we may be, he and his love redeems us in Jesus. And this morning, we really do have a choice. We can Either embrace and live out the whole narrative that Christ has written for us of creation, fall, redemption, and him making things all new. Or we can just stay in the chapter of our life of brokenness. So let me ask you, are you willing this morning, somewhat like my daughter is asking, in childlike faith to turn the page to the next chapter? to come and and drink freely from the spring of the water of life, Jesus himself, and turn to that chapter of redemption. That chapter of redemption where Christ wants to begin renewing you and those broken parts of your life. Or perhaps Christian here, if you're here and you've been in here, you've kind of lost your joy, maybe you need to turn over to that final chapter of God's story in Revelation 21 and 22 and just live that story out knowing that while it may look like hell on earth right now, friends, that there is a sure, predictable story of hope, that there is a sure joy and a calling that God has on our lives, that he is in fact making things new in and through Jesus Christ, and that God wants to start transforming and redeeming your brokenness so that you in turn might be an agent of his to help transform some maybe just tiny, minute area of brokenness in our world. You can do all that because you're assured of where God's story is going. Our God recreates us. Our God is about restoring creation, and so should we. Friend, when all is said and done, take heart. Don't let another write your story in life. Rather, enter into God's story. Turn the page, because behold, Jesus really is making all things new. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.